Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast with your host, Kat Robinson. You're listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast for vet nurses where we tell our story. I'm your host, Kat Robinson. Vet nursing can be a tough gig, and yet we absolutely love it. So when it comes to vet nurses, who are we? How do we achieve greatness? How do we cope with the more challenging parts of our job? Radio Vet Nurse is our way to start a dialogue around these questions and to create a space where we can tell our story. Each episode, you'll hear from a different vet nurse about their personal experiences in life and in vet nursing. In this episode, you'll hear from Joe Hatcher, who was the president of the VNCA in 2017. Joe's been a vet nurse for almost 20 years and was one of the first names added to my guest wish list. She works at Gawler Animal Hospital in South Australia and is also a nurse trainer with the Animal Industries Resource Centre. Joe's really actively involved with the VNCA and is one of the most experienced, qualified and passionate vet nurses I know of. And that's saying a lot because, let's face it, there are so many like that. Before I dive in with Joe, I just want to say thanks for listening to episode one and for following on Facebook and Insta. I also want to shout out to Darcy from Pro Podcast Production for helping me clean the audio you're about to hear. As an ex-muso, I really enjoy recording, editing, post-production, but this was my first Skype interview and Darcy knows all the tricks. That's him you can hear in my intro music. Thanks, Darcy. And now it's time for the very inspirational Joe Hatcher. Hi, Joe. Welcome to Radio Vet Nurse. Thanks so much for having me, Kat. Really excited to talk to you today. Excellent. Me too. Now, I just want to start with a question about podcasts. Do you listen to podcasts? And if so, what are some of your favorites? To be honest, I don't actually normally listen to podcasts except for what my husband listens to because he listens to a lot of comedians' um, podcasts. Uh So if we're in the car, sometimes he'll be playing that as we're going along and things like that. But I have to say I haven't really listened to a lot of podcasts, probably because I'm a bit more of a visual person, I think. Um, So I tend to find that when I've got noise going on in the background, if I'm focusing on something else, I'm not always hearing what's going on. But it's interesting with you starting this um, Radio Vet Nurse podcast, it's made me look into it a bit more. So, And there is quite a few, I guess, veterinary-based um, podcasts out there, but nothing for vet nurses. So I think that's fantastic why you've got this one up and going, especially for Australian vet nurses um, to have this going. It's really unique and really want to congratulate you for, for getting this up and going. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you. And that's exactly why I started it because I was looking for a podcast about vet nurses and I was like, there doesn't seem to be one that's, you know, purely mm-hmm. for vet nurses. And I love some veterinary ones too. Like I love um, Blunt Dissection and Podcaster Vet mm-hmm. and Two Vets Talk Pets. Like there's some yes, great ones. Yes, I know ones. the Two Vets Talk Pets one. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's really good to have it. So um, because I think it's also something that's really needed for vet nurses too, because we, um, there's a lot of groups on social media, but to be able mm. to sort of talk and listen to experiences of other vet nurses. I think it's fantastic. So yeah, it's good. I think too, at this time for vet nurses in Australia, it's important because I feel like we're coming of age almost. And Mm. I'm sure we'll touch on more of that um, chatting to you because I know you're quite heavily involved in a lot of that. But firstly, we'll start at the beginning. Where are you from and where do you currently live? Well, I'm from South Australia and, um, well, from Gawler, South Australia, and I still live in Gawler, South Australia. I haven't oh, moved good really. Good on you. That's lovely. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite – grew up um, – well, it's Gawler's about 20 minutes from the Barossa Valley so um, and about 45 minutes drive from Adelaide. So, it's um, a nice little spot to be in, I think, because we've got the best of both worlds everywhere. And it's sort of, I guess, a bit of a rural – well, it, 
always has been in the past a bit of a, a rural town. They call it town and country, but we're certainly not as rural as we used to be now. It's a lot larger. So, um, yeah, I absolutely love uh, living here and I love South Australia as well. A lot colder at the moment, unfortunately, yeah. probably than where you are at the moment, Kat. <laughs> yes, just a little. It sounds beautiful. All those places like Barossa and um, mm. Margaret River and anywhere that you see on a wine bottle, really, I'm always like, oh, that yeah, sounds like yeah. a lovely place. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you should come and visit sometime because the Barossa is a beautiful place um, to be. And it's it's funny, it's like when you live so close to somewhere, I don't actually go up there enough. I'm 20 minutes away, but I should mm. go and get into the Barossa and visit a bit more. But I, I tend to not just get busy with life and things, but you have to make time for these things. So It is always the way, isn't it? Yeah. We see tourists coming up here and going to the Great Barrier Reef and the Daintree and we, we're like an hour away from it. We're like, oh, we should do that again. <laughs> we have to make time for these things. And I'm, I'll be the first to admit that I'm pretty bad at it sometimes, um, doing, mm-hmm. you know, taking time off and and um, doing things just for me. Um, but, yes. yeah, it's important to do. Definitely. And how did you yeah. get your foot in the door with vet nursing? And is is next year your 20th year vet nursing? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. my God, you're like super vet nurse. Oh, well, I don't know about super vet nurse. I just I think I've I found my passion in this yeah. um, job and I, I've absolutely loved it like every day that I've I've done it and certainly have diversified a bit and I'll talk about that in a minute. But mm. um, I um, I've just absolutely love it. So, yeah, there's not – not a lot, I guess, um, of vet nurses that have stuck at it for this amount of time. There's certain, I do know some that have been in it for, you know, 30 or I know one that's been in it for 40 years, which is amazing Whoa. as well. Um, mm. But, yeah, so 20 years next year, <laughs> yeah, definitely is. So, But I really got my foot in the door. I guess it's funny, but I wanted to be a vet when I was at school back mm. when, I, when I was young and mainly – when I actually think about it, the reason I wanted to be a vet was because that was what, you know, you were told about vets. You weren't told about vet nurses. Mm. Um, and so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll be a vet. But I grew up with horses and a lot of animals. Um, my parents have a 10-acre property. So we spent a lot of time at the vet clinic with horses, um, a lot of time there. And it was probably when I think I was about 12 or so when I was at at the vet clinic with uh, one of my horses with my mum and I was looking at what the vets were doing but also I really noticed vet nurses at that time as well and I actually remember saying to the vet at the time with my mum I'd like to be a vet nurse and he turned around and looked at me and he said really you want to be a vet nurse because this is going back you know a good 30 years ago Mm. Um, and he said oh well if you want to but you do a lot of cleaning and you run around after me and do that sort of stuff but that's that's how he said it was and I was like oh okay so maybe I should be a vet he didn't really sell it very well unfortunately Um, but when I got into when I was at school maths not my strong point so I really didn't get the marks that I needed to be able to sort of progress um, to to go into uni um, Mm -hmm. and study vet um, science. But so I actually went, well, you know what, I think I might do vet nursing and thank goodness that I did (laughs) because I love the job and I couldn't imagine being a vet actually now. I love my vets and I love working with my vets, but Mm. um, I love the hands-on aspects of vet nursing. So yeah, that's really how I got in the door with what I wanted to do. And then I just went out and um, I started doing some work experience in a vet clinic um, when I was in year 11 and year 12. Mm -hmm. I 
went and did um, after school uh, one evening a week. I would go mm-hmm. and just do work experience to get a bit of an idea of what was going on and what I could do. And um, then when I left school, sort of school pushed me to go towards uni. So I was like, oh, maybe I still will try for vet science. So I enrolled in Bachelor of Science and um, I thought I'll do that first, then I'll transfer over into vet science. But I really didn't like uni. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went sort of back to doing some work experience at the clinic um, saying, can I just do a bit there? And um, eventually they, they offered me a Saturday morning job. So that's okay. how I started out, um, just doing Saturday morning. So, yeah. I'm just looking here. You've got a Cert 4 in vet nursing and you're a vet nursing technician and you have a diploma of vet nursing management and you are AVA accredited as well. So how yeah. did all those things play out? Like what's your what study did you do to get all of these impressive um, letters <laughs> against your name? Well, I think I just did, I decided, well, certificate for vet nursing, that's what I have to study to start with. Um, mm-hmm. And I started doing that when I was working in the clinic because back when I started working in the clinic or when studying your vet nursing qualification back then, you had to be working in clinic. There wasn't any really option of doing placement or anything back then. So I had to be employed um, at least 15 hours a week to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's what I had to do. So I went, okay, I've started doing this. Yes, I want to be a vet nurse. I'll, um, my employer at the time wanted me to enroll in the course. So I went and enrolled in the course and I paid for it all myself. Yes, 20 years ago, it was a little bit less than what it is nowadays, <laughs> um, but I paid for it all myself and um, just went, you know, once just going to the local TAFE actually just once a week um, and one afternoon a week and, and studied that. And once I finished my Cert for in Vet Nursing, I wanted to do more. So I um went on to do the Diploma of Vet Nursing. Back then it was the first diploma back then, which was they don't actually offer that particular diploma anymore, but it was management-based. So I was sort of stepping up in the clinic at that time into more sort of head nurse position and and eventually I actually became practice manager there as well. Um, and that's why I sort of went down that line of doing that diploma um, of, of management as such. And once I finished that, then I was like, okay, what else can I do? So then mm-hmm. I did the, the vet technician certificate at that point just to basically get some more knowledge and, and learn more. Um, and then went on and um, when the VNCA and the AVA brought out the accredited veterinary nurse scheme, I applied for that and worked to get my points up um, to get that and and finally got um, that uh, at that point as well. So, and then of course, in my other job that I do with training now, I also have my certificate in training and assessing and education. So, um, it's, it's a thing that I think I just always want to keep learning. Um, yeah. so that's why, how I've gone about it. I feel the same too. I think it's just so great to just be a lifelong learner. And you've yeah. mentioned a couple of uh, jobs. So where do you work at the moment and what are your roles in those jobs from day to yeah. day? I do have a couple of jobs. So um, I guess I work part-time in the clinics. I work at Gawler Animal Hospital here in South Australia. So as as a hands-on veterinary nurse, so I do that a couple of days a week. And then my other job is uh, with Animal Industries Resource Centre as a trainer and assessor for um, vet nursing students that might be studying their certificate for or doing um, their diploma and things like that. So that's an online course. So I do a lot of uh, correspondence by email and phone and also get to go out and visit um, students in practice when we do their practical assessments and things like that. So they're my main two jobs. And then I guess my third job as such, but it's more, I guess, my passion volunteer is um, being on the board for the VNCA um, as well. So I've been involved with that for 
Well, uh, 12 or 13 years now. Um, oh, wow. Is that how long? Before. Yeah, it's a long time now, actually, when I actually think about it. So there, there I have a, a lot of things on the go um, as well. And also being a mum, because I've got a five-year-old little girl too. So yeah. that changed life when she came yes. along. Um, but I like to keep busy. I think at the end of the day, I like to keep busy. So um, I enjoy all the different aspects I've got of, of the different parts of jobs that I do. So Yeah. And you've just touched on a few of the things that made me really want to interview you as part of our broader vet nursing story, because not only are you really involved with the VNCA, you were also the president of the VNCA in 2017. Um, And then you've also got this mum life aspect that I find really interesting myself in learning how to balance. So, (laughs) um, and and now, so now we've got um, a new president since April this year, you, you stepped down from that role, but you're still heavily involved on the executive committee and on other committees as well. So, um, I mean, obviously you find that just really rewarding and worth all of the extra time because you don't exactly have a lot of time. No, I don't. And I think the thing is, it's trying to manage your time. And I always think it's almost like you're wearing different hats um, a lot of the time. And I have to go, well, when I'm in the clinic working, I've got my work hat, my clinic hat on then. Mm -hmm. Um, If I'm doing my training job, I've got that hat on as well then. So it's it's certainly a bit of a, a juggle um, mm. between it all. But I guess as far as the VNCA goes, that's all voluntary. Like I'm not paid for anything to do with that. Mm. Um, so that is completely um, voluntary. And I, and I often have people ask me, I have family ask me, friends ask me, you know, people just in the veterinary industry in general, like why? You're giving up your weekends to go to meetings. You give up your mm. evenings to, to have meetings or whether you're doing research and writing and and webinars or seminars or whatever we're doing, why like why do you give up so much of your time? Because I do when I'm passionate about something, I'm pretty much into it. Mm. Um, and I said because I want better for vet nurses and for vet nursing in Australia, and mm. I really really truly believe that the VNCA has such a huge part to do with that, and mm. I can see just the difference it's made to me personally in my Mm. career um, and what I've learned through it. So that's why I do it because I'm really, Mm. really passionate about it. Um, And there's a lot of things we've, the VNCA has done a lot for vet nursing and vet nursing certainly changed over the last 20 years, but there's a whole lot more um, to be done and a whole lot more Mm. that that can happen. So that's why I'm still involved. How many nights a week or month are you doing teleconferences with the VNCA and how many weekends are you flying somewhere and physically meeting up with people? Yeah. Like what's the commitment? Yeah, so we do, as far as um, most of our meetings are a lot now with the different committees I'm on. So obviously I'm on the board of directors, but I'm also on the South Australia Division Committee um, mm-hmm. and I'm also on the CPD Committee, the Com- Continuing Professional Development Committee. So I'm the chair of that one. That's mainly teleconferences, those that mm-hmm. committee. Um, the board of directors, we tend to meet every two months or so now that could be either via teleconference or we will meet face-to-face um, at least every sort of three months or so. Um, and that could be Melbourne, Sydney, and we could do a couple, two-day meeting or we have a, just a one-day meeting. And that could mean me getting up at 4 a.m. to get a 6 a.m. flight um, to mm. the to get to um, the airport and, and get in and out for a fly-in, fly-out meeting. But And I think that's sometimes you go, well, it's 4 a.m. This is a bit hard, but um, mm. I, I – you know, I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. And um, so we do, yeah, it's 
probably as far as what I do each week, I certainly spend, you know, at least one evening a week um, averages out doing some VNCA work, but um, mm. sometimes a little bit more depending on what's going on. But it's kind of, I guess it's a bit like it's it's my hobby in a way mm. as well. Mm. So it's a bit like, well, you know, I could be watching TV, but there's mm. not always a great amount of stuff on TV nowadays. So there's not. I think it's really important for VNCA members and vet nurses who are not yet members to know how much is going on behind the scenes mm. there. And even for nurses who are members, maybe they turn up to the conference once a year and go, wow, this is great. Um, but yeah. it's important to know that there are people who are just giving up hours and hours of their own time every week and every month to push these issues that need yeah. attention and to improve things overall for vet nurses. Yeah. And and I, I guess I was pretty unaware of it too until until my recent involvement as well. So, um, and there's just so much yeah. happening at the moment. Like um, which committee is, is it that you're involved with that's working on the uh, voluntary registration? Because I'm really interested yeah. to know about how that will impact, you know, myself and other vet nurses. Yeah, definitely. So the Professional Advancement Committee is the committee that's working on um, voluntary registration uh, for vet nurses. So it's um, something that the VNCA has been working on for uh, 15 years really um, or, or even longer really because it was one of the real reasons why the VNCA was formed back in ni- 1995 mm-hmm. um, was to actually increase the recognition of veterinary nurses and about them being vital um, in the vet clinic and in, you know, the healthcare team um, and making us be seen as a profession because we are at the moment uh, we are classified as paraprofessionals because mm. we, we don't have registration, we don't have a profession profession as such. And I certainly don't, while I have to say I am a paraprofessional, I certainly feel that I am a professional Mm. and I think veterinary nurses should be uh, seen that way. So it's been a long time coming for the VNCA and really there's been about 10, 15 years ago, um, the VNCA sort of lobbied the vet, um, the Vet Surgeons Board Council, um, the Australian Vet Boards Council, uh, about trying to get registration. And, and there was some positives, some, you know, support, some not so much supportive of it, but um, it's cha- it was a lot of changing times and things with what was going on in the veterinary industry at that time. So it didn't happen. And we tried again about five years later and it still didn't happen then. And one of the biggest problems, and this, this is why we're saying, okay, instead of what we were trying for was mandatory registration. So what we, we said, okay, that's not going to happen. Um, we'll go for voluntary um, at this point. So if we get voluntary registration and we can get enough vet nurses or the majority of vet nurses being voluntary registered, it shows then the government that there's a real push for needing to change legislation to actually have um, mandatory registration of and, and have the profession of veterinary nurses recognised. So, mm-hmm. And the problem with changing why we can't have mandatory registration at the moment is because every single Vet Surgeons Act in each state of Australia says something different about what vet nurses can or cannot do. Mm. And so in order to have completely mandatory registration, we would need to change every single Vet Surgeons Act pretty much. Um, and that's a big job because trying to change any legislation at all um, is difficult in itself. So, um, But that's the idea of us trying to, to have the voluntary registration so eventually that can actually happen. Obviously in WA at the moment, they um, are the only state that has uh, registration of vet nurses over there and they do have a list of um, prescribed duties that they can actually undertake um, um, but 
you know, in South Australia, for example, the Vet Surgeons Act in South Australia just says um, veterinary nurses can perform duties um, under the uh, supervision or as directed by a veterinarian. It's a very broad interpretation of mm. what that might be and that varies in practices as to what a vet nurse can be allowed to or not allowed to do because the buck stops with the vet, obviously, um, mm. and they have to have their trust in you. A lot of the, the legislation is so vague and also really untested. Like mm. um, every now and again, I will ring the registrar in Queensland and say, hey, I'm just looking at this section of um, the Vet Surgeons Act and wanting to know what's our position here. And it might be on, yeah. a, on the position about um, where we stand with ownership of medical notes and the client or, you mm-hmm. know, a duty to the client or what a vet nurse can do. And the answer that I use usually get, and they're always very helpful, but the answer that I usually get is that, look, this is how we interpret that that section of mm. the legislation, but it is untested. So, meaning that it's never gone to court and had, you know, a bunch of people battle it out and say, well, this is what was intended. No, this is what was intended. And then we get like a case law precedent saying mm. this is the ruling. But a lot of it is really untested yeah. and it is very vague and it's all um, and it's all different across states too. So what you're saying is once we get voluntary registration, the more vet nurses who sign up for that, the more yep. leverage we will have as a group to say to the government, look, we all want this. Look how many of us have signed up. Let's make this change no matter how difficult. Yeah, definitely. And it's I think it's also that's what we want to have happen, but it's also about the whole aim of the project is about recognition for vet nurses, increasing that recognition, especially public recognition mm. as well because I don't know how many times you have, Kat, but you've gone in and you're talking to clients in the clinic and you could be talking to them about something and they kind of dismiss you a little mm. bit because you're the vet nurse. I'll go talk to the vet and the vet will say, oh, no, no, this we have to treat this way or do X, Y, Z, and they're like, yeah. oh, okay, because the vet said it and not so much thinking, you know, about what vet nurses do. It's almost um, certainly if you look at human nursing, I love saying human nursing, and I've got a few <laughs> human nurse friends that find it hilarious that I say human nursing. Um, yeah. But they, you know, the public generally um, holds human nurses in hospitals and things in much higher regard than probably some of them do as vet nurses. Not all yeah. of them, but yeah. certainly I, I can see um, that difference there. And I just, the public often doesn't really understand what vet nurses are really doing, I don't think. And yeah, I see it a lot where you have um, nurses who have said, oh, I've got, you know, we've got the thank you card and sometimes the thank you card says, you know, Dr. Smith, thank you so much for saving my puppy's life. Mm. Um, mm. But it could have been the vet nurse that's done a lot of that work and mm. I and it's a team, it's certainly a team effort working with your vets together um, yeah. and I find, I think I'm very fortunate in my work um, at um, my clinic in that our nurses are utilised really to their full potential. So we get to do – I mean, it's not often that the vets are placing catheters or taking bloods or even, you know, inducing animals in anaesthesia. Um, Pretty much in my clinic, the the nurses are the ones that do it. The vet's there and we say, okay, this is the plan of what I want to do. Okay, can you get that one ready on the table and um, while they're doing some other stuff? So certainly we don't do anything without a vet there and without a vet being present. But um, it's – and it gives you so much more job satisfaction. I have a huge amount of job satisfaction in in this clinic because – Um, of the role I've got and also working with the vets I love my vets I've got some awesome vets that I work with and they really 
we work as a team and actually listen mm. to each other about, you know, treatment plans and things like that. So it's fantastic. And I think you do that in your practice too, don't you, Kat? We do, yeah. And it sounds like you've got great vets that will step back and allow vet nurses to actually have somewhere to progress to because if the vet's not willing to step back and say, you can put the catheter in and, you know, I'll be doing something over here or you castrate the cat and I'll be doing something over here and they're there, like they're at arm's length if they're needed. But, yeah, we can have nurses doing intubating and that sort of thing. So it's good. And on that note with your active nursing, what is the best part of your job when we're just talking about that aspect at Gawler? Yeah, do you know, I think really the best part of my job is that I feel that I get to make a difference to the patients that I'm nursing um, because, and that can be, I mainly work in the hospital area of the practice because we mm-hmm. do have, we're a large practice. So um, we certainly have our receptionists and we have consulting nurses and we have hospital nurses um, and I mainly work out in the hospital area, but I feel that I can make such difference being that I can work so well with my vets um, mm. and the whole team and the other nurses that we can really come up with great care plans um, yeah. and notice differences for our patients. So that's what I love. I love seeing that I know that I have made a difference in that yeah. patient's um, care and, and their outcome and being able to, I think, voice I, – I love the fact that we have – in the 20 years of in vet nursing, we have so much improved on pain relief protocols. Yes. Um, is one yes. big thing. Still a little bit lacking in some areas that perhaps not all um, vets have caught on with that, but I think yeah. they're certainly improving. Um, and, you know, that we're using constant rate infusions now where we, yeah. we, when I first started, you were lucky if you gave an injection of pain relief of, yeah. you know, something basic like pethidine or something yeah. like that. So it's um, it's great to see that that has improved. And the fact that I can say, look, you know, to my vets, this this is what's going on with my patient. Perhaps mm. maybe could we try this or that? They love that. They love mm. that. They do. And ideas. I think those treatment plans are not really complete until the vet nurse has, has drawn up their side of it. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, you definitely. can write up your hospitalised patient and say, this is um, this is what's going on, these are the treatments and this is what we're yeah. doing or this is the workup. But it's not really finished until the nurses get in there and write their part of, yeah. well, what are we doing to support that? And I love a really yeah. good care plan and a nursing intervention plan and I've worked with some old school locums before where I'll be in the room helping them draw uh, write up the invoice because they're you know unfamiliar with the computer but I'm also sort of advocating for the patient going you don't want to add maybe like a meloxicam injection (laughs) to that it's yeah you know it's funny you say that because I've learned over the years I think back when I was first started and I was so wanting to just learn everything and take everything in and I think I perhaps put oh no I no not perhaps I know I did put some vets a little bit offside um, because of the way I would ask I'd be like why are we doing that rather Mm. than as you said would you think perhaps we could Mm. do this or do that and so I've learned obviously over the years rather than because otherwise I was coming across that I was questioning the vets yeah certainly not wasn't my intention but you you learn um how better to communicate with different people as as you go along um in doing that and I know and I know and I think one thing that I find um quite sad now, especially because we have social media out there and we have so many veterinary um, groups. And when I see, you know, some nurses on there and and they're really getting down about Mm. um, 
the profession, about their workplace, um, just lack of support and things like that. I actually find it really, really sad. And sometimes you have to take it slowly, slowly mm. and just suggest things um, regularly and see how you go. But you've got to have a – it's that trust with a vet because it comes back to, as I said before, their um, – but is on the line basically um, yep. when it comes to it and they have to trust you. So certainly when I've changed jobs and gone into new clinics, it sometimes takes a bit of working mm. with um, with new vets and go, well, I know, I'm like, oh, I know I can do this, I know what I'm doing, but you can see that they're just trying to judge and see um, what what you can do and getting to know me. So um, mm. we also have to be so supportive of each other, seriously, yeah. as an industry. I think we yeah. kind of lack a little bit of that sometimes. Um especially on social media. <laughs> yes. I don't like hearing those representations of like, oh, never let your vet do this, blah, 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 because mm-hmm. I always want to bring it to, well, we're a team, so let's not be yeah. like undermining one another. And when I go to the veterinary business group conferences, I never hear vets talk that way about vet nurses. The vet nurses, no. sorry, the vets are always saying, let your vet nurses take over this area yeah. and this area of your practice because they will do a better job than you. And I only mm. ever hear them talk up vet nurses. So I do mm. feel strongly about us reciprocating. I no, we've got to be better at that. We absolutely do. Yeah, and I know from Matt being a vet, I know it, it is just all in the phrasing because they get they get the same questions from clients like, "Why are we doing yeah. that?" Um, and they are forced to sort of justify their reasoning. So I know sometimes for him, he doesn't like to be asked again, "Why are we doing that?" by a nurse, but he is happy mm-hmm. for a nurse to be like, "Oh, I'm interested in how this is all working. What what's yeah. the theory behind what we're doing?" So just mm. yeah, f- simple phrasing. Indeed, indeed, totally agree with you it's it's tricky because i look still sometimes i've seen you go "Hmm, hmm, that's that's an interesting way of going about that but (laughs) it's not my place to call the vet out on that right at that time it's making those suggestions for sure so some ideas and suggestions require massaging and even for me (laughs) with matt like there are some things that i've like lobbied for years and then eventually (laughs) i'll sense a weakness and i'll be like yes Let's do it. Yeah. I can see that you're kind of like kind of agreeing. Let's go with it. So yeah, yeah. I think I drive my boss like bonkers because sometimes like I keep on I'm at my mo- at the moment I really want a syringe pump. We don't have syringe pumps in the uh-huh. clinic. Uh-huh. We've only got our fluid we got hyperfluid pumps and that's good. And we're managing with it. But like there's sometimes I'm like, oh, I love a syringe pump. So it's just me. I just throw it in very regularly just throw in the fact oh well if I had a syringe pump you know (laughs) you're in the best position to know what equipment is needed I'm sorry so yeah and it's just it's kind of a bit of a joke but it's funny how often I've done that and then eventually oh we get that (laughs) at some point so it's just being patient we all know how behavior and conditioning and everything works if if you get the the, the reward of it worked you're just going to continue with that method indeed indeed we're a team that's what we've got to remember that's the bottom line. I agree. Now, what's your routine when you wake up in the morning, Joe? How do you set yourself up for the day? Oh, well, I am not a morning person, Kat. <laughs> I okay. to tell you. Definitely not a morning person. Um, it takes a bit to actually – I'm a night owl. Like I could be up till 1 p.m. Uh, – 1 a.m., sorry, and mm. um, doing work and things on the computer. And that's probably why I'm not a morning person because I'm up too late at night. So um, I have to – I normally have my daughter is poking me. It's good to have a child. They they, they make you get out of bed. Um, so she will be poking me to get up. And it's really I have to get up and – turn the kettle on and make myself a cup of tea. I am not a good person <laughs> until mm. I've had my cup of tea. And mm-hmm. even my daughter knows that as well. So that mm. is um 
my big thing is to, to get up and, and make my tea and, mm-hmm. and having breakfast, getting breakfast for my daughter and waking up. It takes me a bit to wake up. So <laughs> you just break. allow a bit of extra time? Yes, probably I don't allow enough time actually. I probably spend too much time in bed and find myself rushing. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's it's certainly um, – I, I will be a morning person if I have to be, but my husband will laugh at me because I've, I've said to him, I said, I really want to be a morning person. And he just laughs hysterically at me because he knows that I am not a morning person at all. So yeah, not the best with that. But if I can get myself, I just have to get myself up and get myself a cup of tea and then I'm, yep. then I'm good. Yeah. I'm the same. <laughs> so not a morning person. What um, weekly or daily habit makes your life better? Well, this probably goes along with the fact that I don't like being a morning person, but I need to have a sleep in at least once a week. If I, I was can going have a sleep. to guess that that was it. I nearly <laughs> said, let me guess, is it a weekly sleep in? <laughs> Yes, it is a weekly sleep in. Um, so because I and luckily my husband was lovely this morning. I have one this morning, so yeah. uh, which was good. I didn't actually get up till nine a.m. I had a real sleep in. Yes. Um, so yeah, I need that sleeping because it's. But I don't know. It's just I've always been like that. Even when I was like a teenager, I was like, okay, you busy, busy school, everything during the mm. week, and then like it would be like Sundays would be my sleeping day. And if I would find if I don't have that sleeping, I actually, I don't know. I think I just get a bit more tired and and grumpier. I find yes. so that's what I try to do. That makes it better. Yeah, you've got to put Z's in the sleep bank, and I, I try for for a weekly sleep in too. Usually on a Sunday, I'll take Elijah in for day daycare at whatever time he wakes up and I'm like oh this is heaven and it's like the best time of the week yeah it definitely is and just having a slow morning I think that's the thing so so I had a bit of a slow okay I'll get up and make a cup of tea and I think it's funny because actually when I have that sleep in I actually feel like okay I'm awake now that's good whereas it I I certainly can get up much um, easier and and functioning much quicker than I would during the week where I have to get myself out of bed you know at 7 a.m. 6am or whatever it might be. So yeah. That's a really simple, but really fantastic habit that I totally understand. (laughs) And do you have any strange habits or superstitions, Jo? I don't really have any superstitions. Strange habits, probably this might sound a bit weird, but I, whenever I have a cup of tea or coffee, I always have to leave a little bit left in the bottom of the teacup. I never can fully finish the really? tea or coffee. Yeah, I don't know why. Like, And it drives my husband mad because <laughs> if he's in dishes, like, oh, you've left tea in the bottom. He's used to it by now. You know, we've been together. 20 years or so. So, uh, but yeah, he's used to it by now, but that's, I don't know what it is. I can never fully finish a cup of tea or coffee. Even if I have some, go to a a coffee shop and buy, I just never can. So that's my little strange habit. But um, superstitions I don't really have. Although I have to say, I, I think it was only a couple of months ago, I saw on a, um, vet nurse Facebook group, somebody uh, say about purple vet wrap being Mm -hmm. like a bad luck. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what? What's wrong with purple vet wrap? I've never heard of it before. And other people would say, oh, no, you're not purple vet wrap. Ever since I heard that, I find myself when I'm reaching in the <laughs> in the cupboard <laughs> to do bandages for catheters or anything now, and if it's a particular one that might be a, you know, 
little bit more of an intensive case or a bit more critical case, I find myself like avoiding the pebble vet rat for no reason whatsoever, but I'm Mm. avoiding it now just because I heard um, that thing, which I'd never had an issue with before. So power of suggestion. (laughs) Do you have other workplace superstitions? Like I will have a brick thrown at my head if at Ready Vet I ever say, oh, it's quiet today. Oh, yes. The Q word. Yes. No, (laughs) no. Shush. It's not. No. I've walked in. We're a fairly busy clinic. So on the odd occasion you walk in and we've got um smart flow in our clinic um which is the electronic hospital um forms and systems so we've got tv screens up in our um treatment area um where we list instead of having a whiteboard to list all your patients and if i walk in a fun oh there's not that many on there i'll look up there and i go hmm that's interesting. That's all that we say. <laughs> like we're not, yeah. not going to say anything else about that because definitely don't say that. Don't say that keyword for sure. I think all that, vet nurses and, uh, and vets are pretty much like that. I think that's a universal veterinary profession superstition. Like, do not say yeah. the keyword ever. You will get like twenty hit by car dogs and six brown snakes. And yeah, don't yes. say it. Yeah. And speaking of your smart board that you've got going on there, can you think of a purchase made by you or your employer that has positively impacted your vet nursing life in recent memory? Um, something really, really simple, but esophageal stethoscopes. That ah. is, I think, probably I love them because when you're monitoring surgery and you've got a patient which is, particularly if they're doing something around um, the head, the neck, the shoulder, um, it's so easy to have that placed um, and you're not having to interfere with getting under drapes and, mm. and compromising sterility. And also like it's there, it's right near the heart. So mm-hmm. it's really easy to pop them in your ear and you go, well, I definitely can you know, hear um, that I have got a heartbeat, obviously, and, mm-hmm. and the rhythm and, and regularity as well. So that's probably my my big one. I love esophageal stethoscopes. Um, and my probably for myself is the um, the vet nurse pouches that you can oh, yes. wear. And so because I love that because I'm always grabbing scissors and bandage mm-hmm. tape and pens and everything, yeah. calculators, everything. I love that. Um, yeah. Part, and I, I notice more and more nurses are wearing them now. So I know. You just feel like MacGyver when, you know, <laughs> you're like, hang on, I've got that. And you're able to just like, you know, take a patient's catheter out and get them all ready yeah. to go or write down yep. what someone's asking you to do. you just like, whoosh, 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 yep, got it. Yep. Absolutely. So they're one of the best things I think that you can have. Um, uh, some some nurses don't like them, and that's yeah, that's okay. I'm probably I probably wear one more than any of the others in my practice. But it's funny how often I'm like, oh, tape here, I've <laughs> got it right yeah. here. Oh, it's right here. Um, they don't so. need to wear one if you're like in the room. You're just going to be like, yep, here you go. No, that's right. But you're right, getting up under under drapes and and you know compromising the sterile field and everything that that can be difficult. So I, I hadn't even thought of um, esophageal stethoscope. Do you know if they're expensive? I'll have to be looking at No, they that. are not expensive at all. No, mm. they're only – because you really – it's just a tubing that you just add on to – you can just pull the bell off of any stethoscope so you've still got your earpieces and you just attach the tubing um, oh, okay. onto the end. So, uh, yeah, I think on average they're probably about $30 or something oh, like wow. that. Oh, wow. Okay. expensive. Well, they're both nice and inexpensive um, mm-hmm. items that people can look into. Joe, tell me about a time when you were able to turn defeat into victory, and this could be in a personal or professional capacity. So probably it comes back to uh, when I wanted to be a vet nurse, actually. I, when I said earlier I was at uni um, trying Bachelor of Science and I wasn't enjoying it, I went, well, I'll go and apply to do um, 
I couldn't do vet nursing because obviously I didn't have a, a job at that point, but I thought I'll try and do like animal studies or animal attending or one of the animal courses that you could do to sort of start to lead into it. Um, and I actually went to TAFE and applied um, and I got rejected. Um, I did not get in and I thought, oh, but this is what I really want to do. So what am I going to do about this? Um, so I actually went and cause I wasn't enjoying any. So I went and worked at, um, in a supermarket doing night fuel, um, mm-hmm. for about 12 months, um, while I was and went and did some, again, some, uh, work experience and trying to get my foot in the door. That was before I got offered a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I actually went back and said, well, what could I do to actually improve um, to try and get in again. So ask the the actual interviewers um, because I had to have an interview Um, and they were really positive um, about me doing more experience and I was quite shy and quiet and probably I didn't come across very confident um, Mm -hmm. as well in there. So I went and I went, right, I'm going to do some more um, work experience and study up as much as I can on what I can do um, reading books and things like that and went and applied again um, and was really like, this is really what I want to do. This is what I've done since we last, since I last applied and I was lucky enough to get in there again. um, It's very easy, I think, to sort of be turned around, oh, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're not suitable and maybe I shouldn't do this because I'm a shocking person for being, I'm really, really hard on myself and mm-hmm. I will beat myself up about things a lot. I still do that to this day. Um, mm-hmm. So it was something that I was like, okay, I'm, I really, this is really what I want to do and I really pers- like really persevered with it. So that's what I did. That's amazing. When you say you were doing the night, Phil, were you doing that so that you had the income to be working? Yes without yeah. being paid like volunteering by day. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was doing. And I um, look at that time I was lucky I was still living at home with my parents as well, so I didn't have, you know, mm-hmm. huge bills and things to pay, but um yeah, that was was something to have a job and and do that and do the voluntary stuff um during the week and during the day. I think it's good for other nurses who are at the moment looking for paid or voluntary positions so that they can study to hear that, yeah, well, a lot of people have had to have like an, mm. another job that they're getting an income and, you know, just, just keep persevering and keep getting knocked back because I I see it in ReadyVet juniors wanting to come in and apply for a position and we don't have room. Mm. It's a great outcome to see you nearly 20 years later still nursing and, I mean, just so incredibly um, skilled and qualified and experienced and you got knocked back and you had to do a night job and, you know, you had to try again. Yeah. So I think you just got to really just take every experience as it comes and try and learn from it. Um, mm-hmm. You Whether it is a positive or a negative experience, you still always learn from it. And that's, that's what I've always tried <clears throat> to do. Um, even back then and I still now, um, there's been some, I've had some really good experiences in vet nursing and I've had some not so good experiences either. Mm-hmm. And different people you work with, you get along with some people really well, others not so much. Mm. Um, but every single person that I have come across in my career has taught me something. Mm. And and that's a really positive thing to try and, and learn and take away from it so that it makes me a better nurse and a better person and um, going forward. And that's going to, that's not going to stop now. That's always going to happen continually for the rest of my life, for the rest of my career. So I think you've really got to take that away. Yeah. And learning is always a victory coming away from a situation, knowing more it's, you know, always, always a plus. So this might be a good time for us to take a quick break. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, no worries at all. Thanks, Kat. 
Hey, Kat Robinson here. You know me from Radio Vet Nurse, but I'm also the co-founder, co-owner and general manager of ReadyVet. ReadyVet is a veterinary surgery in far north Queensland. My husband's a vet and we really, really, really appreciate our vet nurses. In case you hadn't noticed, I'm kind of passionate about nursing too. So when I told Matt I wanted to start Radio Vet Nurse to celebrate vet nurses and tell our story, we agreed that ReadyVet would make this financially possible. So thanks, ReadyVet. That's all. Carry on. Welcome back, Joe. I just want to start off with a question about what advice would you give to someone about to enter the world of vet nursing? Uh, yes, sure. Um, I Probably the thing is I think we have the best job ever. I think that vet nursing is um, the best job on the planet, um, but it's also a hard job um, to do as well. And you probably the one thing that um, – a lot of people think coming in, they don't really understand what, what you do as a vet nurse. And I would say if you can, try and go and if you've got a vet clinic that you take your pets to, see if they will allow you to come in for, you know, an hour or so and just have a watch and see what actually goes on. That's tricky nowadays, I know, because there's a lot of students trying to get placement in clinics. So mm-hmm. that's a big competition at the moment as well. Um, but also take every experience and and learn from everyone that you would um, come across uh, in the vet clinic because you never in this industry know everything. You're constantly learning in it. Um, So, and the other thing too is to realize that sadly we can't actually save everything. Um, Mm. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people that we want to get into vet nursing because we want to help animals and we want to save things, Mm. but we have to realize that um, we can't and Mm. being okay with that, um, especially, you know, how many times I've had people say, oh, how how do you be a vet nurse? It must be really hard to see animals sick and in pain or Mm. having to euthanize animals Mm. as well. And it's funny because I'll often say, actually, that's not the hardest part of my job um, because I'm trained to do that. And I'm also uh, in, I think we're in quite a privileged position, particularly when it comes to euthanasia, that we Mm. get to actually help animals. in in if they're needing to pass um Mm. if you don't think that you can do that then it's probably not the right industry for you Mm. and that's that's probably a a hard thing to say um Mm. and and compassion fatigue and mental health is a huge problem for our industry for both vets Mm. and vet nurses um and i think that's probably because we attract such a caring um individuals really Mm. um caring and empathetic individuals but you can't be con- constantly caring and empathetic um, and not look after yourself um, mm. because – and that's the big thing, I think. And I was probably the same. I wanted to learn so much and I'd stay back at the clinic even after my shifts and things like that. You've got to have a work-life balance um, mm. and and that's a very difficult thing, I think, for so many of us to to actually go, okay, I'm going to leave now the clinic um, mm. and that, and – switch off because even though you think you're okay, you can get to a point where you think you're okay, but you're not okay. So that's that would be the main thing I would say to anybody getting into the vet nursing. It's a fantastic job. Mm. It's a hard job. And, yes, the pay is not great either. That's not why we mm. do it. Um, no. But, you know, be aware of what it really is about and do some research and, and um, talk to people and see what you can see to make sure it's right for you. The first part of your answer that knowing that you can't save everything, I think that that – that's so important and it can be a 
tough pill to swallow because starting out, you think that the advocacy position is just saving that one patient. Let's make that one patient live while the owner doesn't have the money. What if we could just save it? It doesn't matter about the money. But then you begin Mm -hmm. to understand that the bigger position, the bigger advocacy position is not just this one pet belonging to this owner. It's every pet that this owner could acquire in their lifetime of a pet owner. And if there are not consequences for this pet owner, they're just going to keep getting pets that they don't vaccinate, that they don't worm, that they don't keep in the yard where they can't get run over, you know. So it's difficult that there's this greatest good for the greatest number principle that you eventually see. You eventually Mm. see through the haze and you see this this particular client might come back again and again and you realise actually we need to not give credit in this situation and mm. perhaps euthanasia needs to be the option here because this person's just going to keep getting pets and not yep. understand that it's not just free to keep providing care and saving these pets. So it's mm. uh, it's a dark truth to, to mm-hmm. learn and it's important to know you can accept it. Yeah, it is. And I, I just don't think you can do the job without accepting it to a certain extent extent and I think you know euthanasias in themselves are so particularly difficult um but I don't find euthanasias as hard as I do sometimes dealing with a client that's really mm-hmm. really difficult and and being so particular about what they want to do and not wanting to follow a treatment plan etc that's the stuff that mm. I find <laughs> the most difficult yeah. um, to do because it's it's emotionally exhausting that um mm. trying to you know communicate with that or and sometimes even it can be with fellow colleagues as well um mm. you need to have a good support network around mm-hmm. you as well um mm-hmm. we need to raise each other up um yeah. more than you know knock each other down and i'm going to use a um quote that my other boss Sue Crampton <laughs> um, uses and says, you know, you know, 99% of people don't go into work um, every day and go into work and go, right, I'm going to make Sally's life hell today. You know, mm. they don't. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a, there can be a lot of things going on in people's life um, that you need to uh, don't necessarily understand, but we just mm. need to work together well. And that, that's where it can be tricky if you, you're having problems with a, a colleague or something that you're um, not gelling with as much. So trying to work through that and talk to each other um, about how you can work best together is, I don't think we ask that question. Okay, how how do you want to work? How how do you work best and how how this is how I work? let's work Mm. out how we can work together yeah do you ever do um personality testing and that sort of thing yeah and community you know communication what's the best way to communicate with each other um Mm. as well it's it's a um it's a do i think one of the things particularly in my clinic i know my employers dave and steve their big thing is when they are interviewing vets or vet nurses or for positions they're great. You could be a fantastic vet nurse and have the best skills. And yes, we need that. But for them, it's more about what's your personality and how do you work and how are you going mm-hmm. to fit into our team? Because mm-hmm. that's that if we, we don't have the team working well together, then nothing works well. But certainly do encourage, you know, the sort of personality testing or communicate best ways to communicate mm. that sort of thing. Um, mm. It does. And I think some people go, oh, that's, you know, so corporate um, kind of world, but it really does help. If you can say, I've been told myself that when, if I'm in a sort of um, more highly stressful situation, a more tense situation, probably when I'm dealing with an emergency in the clinic, I've been told by people that I come across as dismissive. 
And I'm like, huh, I didn't, I didn't actually realize that. And I'm not mm. actually meaning to be dismissive, but I've got mm-hmm. things thinking in my head and I just need you to do this, 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 and this, and I'm doing this. So I tend to, to come across that way. So it was good that it was actually pointed out to me because mm. I try not to be that way. I probably still am a bit when I'm in those situations, but at yeah. least we can have a chat afterwards and say, okay, how are you going um, yeah. with everything? And, you know, sorry if I was a little bit uh, short there or tense or yelling <laughs> or whatever. What a gift that that person told you because then when you mm-hmm. have new people start working with you, you can sort of have a disclaimer of, look, sometimes if things are happening really fast and the heat's on, I can, I'm told, come across dismissive. That's not how I am thinking. That's not what I'm trying to do. But if I do come across that way, it's nothing against you. It's just kind of my the mode that I go into. So no hard feelings. Yeah. So And I, re- I really think you have to look at yourself a bit um, and mm. that's a difficult thing to do to actually really look at yourself and think, okay, what what am I actually doing and what can mm-hmm. I do to improve the situation? I always mm-hmm. try to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a it is a very difficult thing to do. But if you can have that that chat, I think we just need to talk more. If you can talk more with your team mm-hmm. members, um mm-hmm. And get to know each other. And also not just at work. Have some, you know, you really got to have some outside um, time, whether it's social, you know, events or, um, you know, going to a picnic or doing, you know, a dinner or something. That's that's something that's pretty important for us at our clinic too. I know. I feel like every year at the Christmas party, we all look at each other and say, we need to do this more often than once yeah. a year. Like, And then 12 months go by and you're yeah. back at the Christmas party going, well, next year, that, that'll be <laughs> what we'll do next year. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's tricky. It, and it's always going to be tricky to try and get everybody together as well But yeah. with life. But yeah. Agreed. Now, you are in a great position to be um, answering my next question, given that, that you're doing um, teaching or instructing with um, Animal Industries Resource Centre. What advice would you give to a student vet nurse struggling with their studies? Uh, you know, acknowledge the fact that the study is hard. Like it's not an easy thing to study vet nursing um, and there's a reason for that. Um, and what we need, what I say is really persist as much mm-hmm. as you can because and whether and to, I also think find yourself a good mentor is the other mm-hmm. thing too. So if you're studying um, with your whatever training organisation you're studying with, it might be that you find a mentor or somebody in that training organisation that you can actually chat to and, mm-hmm. and help you out and really talk to your, your educators. That's that's definitely a first. Um, and try and find a mentor, whether if you've got one in your practice, fantastic, that you can feel that you can chat to about things and learn off. But it doesn't – I think finding mentors – when I say the word mentor, it could be somebody that you've never even met, but like this podcast, you could be listening to things or I find mm-hmm. even just looking at blog posts and things like that, you you will learn a lot from that. But mm-hmm. I think to making sure to that student vet nurses understand you make a difference to your patients. You're, mm-hmm. You are making a difference. No matter how small your contribution, you are making a difference. And what you are doing by learning your studies is to make an even bigger difference and provide the best possible um, level of care. And having those knowledge and skills is what is really, really important in that. And even if you have are studying something, you go, oh, you might be in, you know, a tiny practice and you don't have access to certain equipment that you need to understand in your course and things like that. Just because you're doing, you don't have it there doesn't mean one day you won't get it in that clinic or mm. if you move to another clinic. So it's really important to understand those things. But um, it is, acknowledge that it is hard and try and, al- the 
best thing I say is to try and allocate some time mm-hmm. each week to everybody studies in their own way, but allocate some time each week to do um, study. So I might say, oh, Tuesday evenings is going to be my study day or evening or, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever and stick to it so that you yeah. can actually get through your course. Um, that's if you're doing online, I should say, because you might be going and doing it face-to-face at, and in a, at a TAFE or something like that. So, yeah, it just depends. But it is it's not – it's not easy, I guess, for a reason. Um, some parts mm. are easier than others, mm-hmm. but the, it's a learning process. You can't expect to know everything all at once. And I can mm. tell you right now, even once you've finished, if you spent two years or two and a half years doing your study, you are always learning. I'm learning now mm-hmm. constantly. That's mm-hmm. the fantastic thing about this job because things change, things progress, and we mm. can never stop learning um, in this yeah. profession um, and that's that and I love the fact too that I can have new nurses or students might come into the practice and they will show me a different way of doing something mm. I've done for years mm-hmm. and I'm like that's fantastic so mm-hmm. um, you we're always gonna be students and I never want to be as I said of 20 years next year I never want to be that vet nurse that um, gets stuck in their ways and yeah. says well yeah this is just how I do it you just can't be like that. We've got to we've got to progress. Agreed. And for nurses who are in those smaller clinics that don't have the equipment mm-hmm. or don't have the protocols or whatever it is, I think having that student vet nurse can really help a clinic develop yes. because I know we yes. didn't have, for example, I was doing the dentistry subject and we didn't have dental charts. And so for an assignment, I made dental charts and that that is now what we send clients home with or you know we didn't have a protocol for ohs so i I would make Mm. that and we would i'd get to the subject where we need a fluid pump and i would have flagged that with matt and be saying oh well i guess we'll try and take a holiday a couple of hours down the coast where we know some other vets and see if i can do this assignment with their fluid Mm. pump and he'd be like well i've been thinking i think we should get a fluid pump since (laughs) you know it's and and eventually we had all of the equipment that you needed and so it's it's not a bad thing to just be open with your boss too and to be saying, when I get to this subject, we need this or, hey, I'm meant to be referring to this um, protocol that doesn't exist. Could I draft one up for us? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's the good thing about it. So, yeah, it's such a good thing to, you know, be able to also then find that you're contributing to your practice as well a lot. Exactly. I find that I find that I hear that a lot with practices with students that I've had. They're like, oh wow, they've they're studying this, and so now we've implemented this in the practice, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know, they they're open to it. Exactly, which is the perfect segue to my next question. Are there any mm. bad or old recommendations <laughs> that you hear as a vet nurse that you think should be yeah. replaced with more useful or modern information? Yes, and you know what? I think it really comes down to behaviour, um, mm-hmm. the behaviour topic, because there's still and behaviour is an interesting one, whether it's for dogs or cats. But I think particularly with cats, is um, an area area where I still find like people still want to scruff cats to restrain yeah. them, yeah. and you know we I try to avoid it at all costs. Um, mm. And the only time now that I go for a scruff is if my life is in danger and possibly yeah. the animal's life is in danger, but I really don't. And that, you know, I actually, honestly, I can't remember the last time I actually scruffed a cat because yeah. there's so many um, different ways, alternatives that you can do. And I think we still, I still sometimes see, cause I, it was the, um, uh, International Cat Society and the um, International Society for Feline Medicine, ISFM, there's some great resources on there about um, cat 
being cat friendly and cat handling. But mm-hmm. they had um, put out a campaign on their Facebook page about, you know, um, to ban the scruff. And it was interesting seeing some uh, responses on there from people in the veterinary industry, vets, vet nurses going, oh, how silly. How are you supposed to like be able to restrain a cat that's trying really grumpy and fractious and trying to kill you? And it's like, well, the scruffing is making them worse. So mm. we definitely know that with cats less is more. But I, I think there's a bit of a um, push that, you know, we're busy in clinic. I don't have time to muck around with this. I just need to get the job done. Hmm. With behaviour, I, I really struggle with that, mm. um, people saying that, because mm-hmm. we can do better. Um, we don't have to just get the job done. We can work with our patients and take it slowly. And if you take it slowly with them, it's amazing how um, you actually get more out of them. And Mm. if we're just going to get the job done and we're just going to scruff that cat and we're going to just, you know, pin it to the or the dog to the ground, we're just making them worse. They don't want to come back to us next time. So we're perpetuating the problem and then it gets worse and worse and worse. And I think we really should, I know some people are a bit, tend to shy away from using drugs and using sedatives in these situations. But, man, I've just had such a um, great success with that um, in our practice. Just And there's some great medications out there now that the owners can give at home before they even bring their cat um, or their dog into the clinic. And we found I just I just love the, the benefits that we have with that. So not to be scared of mm. using those things and, and actually said, I, I love the fact in my practice, you know, we might have an animal that's quite anxious and uh, we can go to the vet and say, hey, this um, animal's like really freaking out. Can we give it X, Y, Z? And they're, they're like, yeah, sure, that's fine. We can we can do that. So, and we will definitely, because we're a, my practice is a cat, gold cat friendly accredited practice from ISFM. So that's, that's quite an, a um, thing to go through as well. Um, but it's great. It's the fact that we will, we're not going to push, you know, if we need to get a blood sample from a cat, we will do nice gentle handling. You know, I mm. love doing kitty burritos and things like that. That's much better mm. than doing scruff. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, doing those sorts of things. And, um, but if we find it, it's like, you know, if you've lost a cat, um, it doesn't take much for the cats to, you know, hit that red zone. And once mm. they've hit it, they're not coming mm. back down. So, you know, at that point you need to sort of stop and go, right, let's bring them back in another day to get that blood sample. There's nothing wrong with doing that because cats are special. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And we just, they're very proud animals and we just have to think about the way that we're handling them and we, I think we can do a lot better. Yeah. And it can be so dangerous, like scruffing cats and just like hoping nobody's face is going to get ripped off. Like it's just, it's horrific. I'll definitely put a link in the show notes as well to those resources you've mentioned. And for bosses who are sort of like, we don't have the time for that. um, It takes so much longer ultimately, particularly if people are getting injured too. Like Mm -hmm. nearly every time we've had an injury, when we fill out the incident report and have a look at what happened, that's when we make a decision that we always use chemical restraint in this situation now or we always give a sedative or you know so I liked that you mentioned that too because you just need to to change it up and I'm the same with little um little Jack Russell dogs and those ones that can be kind of bitey if you open the cage and Mm -hmm. reach in to grab them. And one of the great things I learned at one of the conferences I went to, and nurses can learn so much about behavior at conferences. It really, nurses can really shine when it comes to this, but just taking the time to call that little Jack Russell or whatever little mini dog 
to you so that they make the choice to go from the back of the cage to the front of the cage. And it might take you a minute, two minutes, and you just have to do squeaky voice and pat the front of the cage and call them and they come to you and then you go, yay, and then you've got them out where you need to handle them. But, I mean, otherwise if you reach in to grab them, they try and bite you and you don't get them and then someone's got to go and get the pole and, like, they're both going to take a long time. And the pole, they hate the pole. God, that makes them worse as well. If if you're just applying, you know, heavy restraint every time and it's horrific it's going to take longer and longer every time they come as well and you've also got to find to i find the clients are much more appreciative as well because yeah. you remember if that cat in particular has hit that red zone sometimes yeah. some of the research has shown that that can take them up to a week or 10 days for them to actually settle down and over mm. that experience so yeah. they go home and if they've got another cat they redirect aggression at the other cat there or even the owner oh. and the owner's <laughs> actually noticed the difference too so yeah. um if we can yeah we can be as and certainly there's situations where it's tough and we've got patients where we go, right, we just go straight for sedation straight mm-hmm. away. We're not even mm-hmm. going to bother because we know that, you know, the cat gets worked up um, and that's fine. Um, you know, we don't want to be scared of using drugs, I think. No. Um, and it's certainly going to be, it's always a case by case basis, but yeah, it's, there's a, there's a, but even if not, if you're not doing that, there's so much that you can do, even just in your practice, if you can, having, um, a cat-only consult room. That's made a huge difference in our practice, just having yeah. – if you've only got one or two consult rooms, that can be difficult to do, obviously. But um, if you can, that makes a huge difference in trying to do as much as you can in the um, consult room um, with uh, even, say, if the owner's there or even ask the owner to step out, rather than taking the cat all the way through out the back um, to your treatment area, that can help as well. So there's a lot that you can do. But, yes, I could talk about behaviour for ages. <laughs> so. I, I, it's one of my favourite topics too and I definitely want to put a link yeah, in the show notes page there because I sort of know a lot about dog behaviour but not so much about cats mm-hmm. and I think that there is a lot – we have a long way to, to go, I think, as far as cats are concerned. So that sounds like a great area of looking at band the scruff and other um, low-stress handling techniques and, and, um, and ways that we can help out our little feline friends. So thanks for that yeah, one. Definitely. You're welcome. And while we are um, on the track of things that we can to do to to help, you know, ourselves and our team, how do you look after your mental well-being and prevent compassion fatigue, Joe? Well, I'll be the first to admit that I have suffered compassion fatigue. So um, mm-hmm. in the past, so I certainly work a lot more. Having had it, I work a lot more now on preventing it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came down to, as I was saying earlier, you know, I, I was always, I spent hours, I was doing 60 hours in the clinic at one point many years mm-hmm. ago at a, at a practice and when I was a practice manager and um, I just, it was like, oh, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, this is all good. And then I wasn't fine, um, got to a point where I wasn't fine and actually recognising that and having to change and do something about it. So I'm, I'm very aware of it now and I find now the biggest thing is to find out what works for me is to come home if I've had a really busy day or a stressful day at work and being able to sit down and actually just talk to my husband and debrief. Mm -hmm. And he is not in the veterinary industry at all. So he's, all he does is listen to me. Mm. Basically, I just have to get it off my chest and talk. And he's like, oh, Mm. okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, that would have been difficult, blah, blah, blah. And I just need to get it out. And once I've got that out, I feel so much better. 
Mm. I do try to also um, get out and walk my dog um, as I've got a golden retriever. So I find if I can get out and go for a walk and um, just stare at the sky and Mm. the trees, and it's actually I love looking at sunsets. So if I can, you know, see if it's a nice sunset, it's a nicer day. Just it's something about the sky. I love looking at the sky um, mm-hmm. and the clouds, and that that really sort of is calming for me as well. So that um, that certainly helps. But I think um, we've got to close the clinic door. And I'd love to say that's my saying, but it's not. I actually um, took that from a um, blog post that I read. I love, um, I don't know if you've had him, Dr. Andy um, Rourke, which I is- I follow his page yes. too. Love yep, it. Love that page. So mm-hmm. he, um, they have a lot of different vets and vet techs that write blog posts. And there was one on there was talking about close the clinic door and being that when you've left work, you need to stop thinking about work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is such a good analogy. Close the clinic door at night. So wh- mm-hmm. whatever you have to do to sort of close that clinic door. Um, so that's what I really, that's why I need to talk and get it off my chest. And then I'm closing that clinic door um, mm-hmm. at that point. So that, uh, and also sometimes get off in, getting off of social media, because what I found, particularly on my Facebook news um, stream, is that I have I'm in so many different veterinary groups. Um, mm. This and there is awesome groups, and there is so much you can get from those groups, and it's fantastic. But also sometimes I find it's like, hey, you know, you actually need to switch off. And mm. not be on that. Um, mm-hmm. And I need to look at something about cooking or yeah. <laughs> something completely different. So otherwise, it's like twenty four seven. You could be in the headspace of of the veterinary world for me. And so sometimes I just gotta gotta switch off. I wonder if that's unique to our industry because I mean I can imagine some people have jobs or careers where. you're not compelled to be thinking about it at home because maybe it's not, I don't know, maybe it's not so exciting or such a passion. Maybe it's just a job. Whereas I think it's, if you're, if you're working in this industry, you're doing it because you're very passionate about it. I mean, it's, it's not, as we've said, it's not an industry where the pay is particularly good. The work is hard. So for most of us, and I hear again and again, people saying exactly what you've said, which is like, you need to learn to shut the door or switch it off. Like, it's it's something that's so important to master. If you are feeling overwhelmed about life or work, you've said that you, you feel grounded by going outside and looking mm. at the sky and getting off social media. Any anything else like that 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 you do to help in those ti- those times? Yeah. So I've also just this year started to get into yoga a bit. Mm. So I have to say that yoga was I was like, oh yes, yoga. Mm-hmm. That's something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have time for that, but. Um, I love and a previous work colleague of mine, Rosie Overfield, um, mm-hmm. is fantastic. And she's got her own. Um, she's, uh, that's another Facebook page or group I follow, MindPod, and she mm-hmm. is actually a yoga instructor. And this year at the VNCA conference in Adelaide, she did yoga sessions um, mm-hmm. to start the day in the morning. It's the first time I'd actually gone and done it, and I was like, "Wow!" I, you know, it might have only been like fifteen minutes. But mm-hmm. it made such a difference, like mm-hmm. of I'm um, just learning how you breathe and things like that. So I've started to just, I, I can't say that I'm a regular yoga person, but mm-hmm. um, I've found that that's actually really amazing just to um, fo- just take, even if it's five minutes and just focus on thinking just about breathing and trying mm-hmm. to switch your mind off. Um, that's been, that's been a fantastic help. So um, yeah, that's what I'm, I find if I'm feeling overwhelmed and I've had, days where 
it's been crazy. I had only earlier this year on a Sunday with just myself and one other vet because we were short-staffed and wouldn't you know it, you had multiple emergencies come in and there's mm. just myself and the vet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, get off. I could feel myself getting worked up because I've mm. got snake bites. I've got a hit by car. I've got this and managed to call some other people in. But I, I was like, oh, and I actually had people at the front desk and I was like, okay, I'll just be a moment. And I actually went out um, the back and for just 30 seconds and I went, oh, breathe, take a couple of mm. deep breaths. You know, you've mm-hmm. got this. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's manic. We've got it, but just take a breath and then go back out. And it made such a difference. If I'd tried to keep muddling my way through it all, I was just getting mm. worse and worse and worse. So mm-hmm. yeah, taking that, taking a moment to breathe. I learned years ago in yoga to give myself like a big, deep, slow breath, like a, mm-hmm. a really slow out breath. And sometimes I do it now without thinking about it and I might be talking to a team member or a client and often people will say, are you okay? Like, are you nauseous or something? Because (laughs) it's that really slow out breath that you might do if you were trying not to vomit or something. And I'm like, no, oh, it's okay. I'm just breathing. That's all, that's all that you're seeing. I'm just breathing because obviously some part of my brain has been like, okay, cat, have a breath. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's funny. It makes such a difference. And it wasn't until I sort of started to, you know, hear about yoga and, and experience a bit more about about breathing it does make such a difference um to, to yeah. how you're feeling for sure yeah there's a reason it's been so popular since you know yeah. since the the dawn of of yoga a long long time yeah. ago it's um yeah. definitely definitely a really transformative thing to do if you've got the time so yes. joe what is the main area of our industry that needs attention or improvement it's recognition um of of veterinary nurses to the public even within ourselves as well, I think, yeah. but also the mental health and and compassion fatigue because mm-hmm. we we know we do have one of the highest professions, uh, one of the professions with the highest incidence of suicide, and that's mm-hmm. and I have known both vets and nurses personally that have mm-hmm. committed suicide, um, oh, and it's a, it's a tough thing to talk about. Um, and that is why we really have to look after ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and as what we've just talked about with, you know, compassion fatigue, mental health, what you can do mm. if you're feeling overwhelmed um, mm. because you think you're okay. And I was one of those persons that always thought, I'm fine. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it sneaks up on you. So you've got to be really, really um, aware of that. But, yeah, so being being aware of that and, and looking after each other and supporting each other and, um, yeah, let's, let's get our profession, you know, recognised. Um, widely and that we can really call ourselves professionals call yourself professionals now you are professionals as vet nurses um for sure but yeah recognition and getting that getting registration we'll get there yeah i'm also (laughs) going to put a link in the show notes page to the vnca website with some information about membership and also some information about um voluntary registration for any any nurses wondering what that means or how do they do it i'll make sure i pop some information in the show notes page And um, I'm just going to finish with my question about mentoring. If you could reach out and thank a mentor that has helped you in your career and personal development in the veterinary industry, who would it be and what would you say? This is a tough one because I feel I've learned from every single person um, that Mm -hmm. I've come across in the industry. But I probably have to say, um, I probably have to say my first employer Dr. Alan Irving, who that when I first got into um, the industry, he actually 
was such a, and I suppose you could say he was an old school vet, dare I say it. Um, but he, um, he was such a huge supporter of vet nurses. He allowed us so in the practice, um, he held the vet nurses in such high regard, um, probably sometimes a little bit higher regard than the vets, which is probably not the, the best idea. <laughs> but we were, we were able to, um, he allowed us to do so much and to learn. And he really encouraged, um, me to be able to, you know, do, studying, training. Uh, he taught me so much about even just about business um, mm-hmm. because he was quite a good businessman as well. Um, so I'd have to, yeah, I'd, I'd have to say thank you because I don't know that he would actually realise what he, um, the effect that he's had on me. And, and I probably didn't realise it at the time, but I can look back now and say, you know, yeah, thank you. You taught me so much in, in the time I was with you. So, but you, you, you learn from everybody all the time as well. So, yeah. Particularly if he was your first boss, because you would have just been thinking, well, this is the norm. Vet nurses are always, yeah. you know, top of the pile. Yes, that's right. Um, but yes, it's not always like that, is it? But it's no, not. he was <laughs> No, he did he did um he did a lot for for that for me, um, personally and and I think just for vet nurses in general. So that was fantastic. But yeah, I, I love everybody I've come across. They've taught me so much, every single person and that I would thank every single one of them. Excellent. There's a mentor in everyone we work with. I think that's a, a beautiful way to think of our colleagues and and um and a great way to finish off what's been a fantastic interview. I really wished that I had like a five hour podcast show, Joe, because I feel like we could just get into everything. And- oh, <laughs> thank you so much, Kat. It's been wonderful to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it today. And um, yeah, love this this podcast. I'll be certainly listening to them um, regularly. You'll be my regular podcast. Now I'm getting into podcasts. Woohoo. I'm so glad podcasts will change your life. <laughs> it's been real, Joe. Thanks for joining thank me. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kat. Thanks for listening to Radio Vet Nurse, the podcast. To help us make more free episodes, subscribe and leave a review. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Radio Vet Nurse or drop in at radiovetnurse.com.